Three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in today. Oh my gosh. Currently it is 3.34 in the morning. It is Friday. It's Friday the 13th, actually. Friday, December 13th. Um, I'm recording two episodes this morning, and about 9 a.m. I'll be recording the next official full episode of Strong Opinion Sports. This is Ask Zach, episode three. Um, I had a great night tonight. I guess it's still tonight. Like For me, it's Thursday night, technically. Um, I went and saw a movie called Knives Out. It's not a... It's not If you love action movies and you want to see like the Avengers, you're not going to like this movie, because that's not what you should expect. It's a mystery movie. It's very slow, but there's... I wouldn't say slow is the right word. It's there's tension and there's like drama and it's just I. For, if you're interested, go check out Knives Out. It's I loved it. It has Daniel. Oh my gosh, Craig, who was played. Uh, he played James Bond. Um, I also want to say good morning to Logan. I had a, look. I had a great night with my friends. Uh, Logan sent me a great message last night as I was. And I read it as I was preparing the show. Logan listens to the show. He's a teacher, and he listens to Strong Opinion Sports on his way to work in the morning. Logan, first of all, you're a teacher. You're amazing. You're a saint. I can't believe you do that. That's so difficult. And uh, I hope you're having a great drive to work, man. Thank you so much for supporting me on Patreon. And uh, I just appreciate everything you do as a teacher, as a person who supports the show. All the above, man. You're awesome. Logan, thank you so much. Um, This is Ask Zach, episode three. How does Ask Zach work? Well, we're reading questions from Patreon supporters. How do you submit a question? That's the next one you want to ask. Um, you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler, patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. You give a dollar a month. Uh, you can give more if you want. Please do it literally. It pays my rent. Um, but if you give a dollar a month, you can submit questions. Uh, and then once a week, I record an episode of Ask Zach where I pick the top couple questions and I answer them in a full episode, Ask Zach. Um, now, if you donate a dollar, I do not guarantee to answer your question on the show, my only guarantee is that I promise to look at every single episode with my eyeballs. I look at it. I may not read it on the show, but I look at all of them, and then I pick the top couple uh, to put them into the episode. Um, I just pick the ones I find most interesting, honestly. Um, you know, Donating more money does not give you a higher likelihood of getting your question read on the show. I treat all questions equally. To me, there's, I try to be very fair. Um, if you give more than a dollar... You're doing it because you are doing it out of the kindness of your heart and you literally want to help me pay my rent because it does help. It makes a huge impact on my life. It really financially helps me. Um, but there's no more. If you give $10, you get the same reward as you would get from a dollar. I just, it, it's just really, it's a donation after a dollar. It really helps me. Um, I really appreciate it though. It does help me pay my bills. And uh, we've built an awesome community on Patreon. It makes me so happy. Uh, the people I talk to, it's the best. But I want to be very clear I don't play favorites. Um, I just pick the questions that make the show the best. I pick the best questions that will give the best answers out of me to make a great, entertaining, fun show. An entertaining and fun show. I put art and creativity over finances. I think that's the right thing to do. You know, I don't want to put money first. I want to put the, the, the good of the show, number one. And so I just want to say thank you so very much for your support on Patreon. That is how Ask Zach works. And I love you guys. I want to start. The number one question today is a softball it's from Seb. Seb writes in, he says, Hi, Zach. What's your favorite sports meme or funny video that you've seen from the current season of any major sports from Seb in the UK? Um, you know, I had this idea. Maybe I would start a weekly like meme review uh, of, of sports stuff. I Look, I, I can't do that. I don't think it fits in the show. I don't think 
whatever. Um, but somebody out there should start a YouTube series where they do like a weekly meme review. It would be hilarious. It would be awesome. Uh, just literally straight up copy PewDiePie. Do exactly what he does, except do it with sports memes. Like NFL meme review. It would be hilarious. Um, and if you, I, I would watch it. And now you got to be authentic. You got to be funny. But you got you to just be yourself and let the show be you enjoying, like genuinely enjoying the content and the memes. If you, someone does that out there, I would watch it. I'd, I'd love that. Um, a weekly sports meme review segment would be hilarious. And uh, if anyone does that on YouTube, man, let me know. I would love to watch it. Um, my favorite videos and my favorite memes from this year. I'm going to talk about the NFL. Uh, first, I want to talk about, I saw a video of Sam Darnold with a lightsaber. And he kind of talks smack to his teammates in a very friendly, just, you know, jestful way. Uh, I saw it on Team Darnold's Instagram. You go to like, they have a post about the Ravens and the Jets. And then you swipe to the right and you find the second slide. And it's Sam Darnold like talking with a lightsaber. It's hilarious to me. I was like, oh, that's awesome. The other thing I, I saw that I really have enjoyed this year are Baker Mayfield's commercials. I know that I might be the only person in the world who enjoys watching Baker Mayfield commercials, but I, I think they're hilarious. Like he has that whole series where it's at home with Baker Mayfield. I just think it's hilarious. I really love it. There's a, a one that really resonated with me because I had it happen to me where I live, where he's trying to he's walking around the stadium because the whole the joke is like he's at home. And his home is where he lives, but his home is the home stadium where he plays in. Anyways, he's walking around the stadium, and there's uh, smoke alarms going off, and he can't find the one. And he walks away, and then he hears a beat behind him, and he looks the other way. And then he look, walks out, and then he hears another beat behind him the other direction. And it's just like, it's so relatable and funny to me. Um, I, I really, you know, it's not a meme, but the Baker Mayfield commercials, the at home with Baker Mayfield, I think it's, I think it's progressive. I don't know. Who cares? It's just an insurance commercial. But the, the commercials themselves... Whoever had that idea, that person, I want to give them a round of applause. That's awesome. But here is the number one thing. Um, if you said, hey, Zach, gun to your head, what is your favorite funny moment from the NFL season so far? Um, it's a, it's, it, this is not only the, my, the most funny, it's also just one of my favorite, period. Um, it's Lamar Jackson's quote when he says, you know, he had a great game. He went off. He had a great game passing. I think he had like five, four or five touchdowns passing. And he goes, not bad for a running back. Not bad for a running back. I mean, like, it's such a great troll. It's awesome. You know, for the criticism of Lamar Jackson going into this year was, you know, a lot, especially fans that don't know football very well said, and look, I was, I, I've been the person that said this too. He said, you know, he's, He's more like a running back playing quarterback than he is a quarterback. And there was criticism and concern that he couldn't throw the ball very well. And he just had the best rebuttal. It wasn't disrespectful. It wasn't mean at all. It was just perfect. Totally self-aware of the conversation around him. Said, well, not bad throwing the ball for a running back. Like, that's, that's awesome to me. Lamar Jackson's moxie and the way he handled that. To not be mean or, again, not disrespectful. Just to very pleasantly make fun of his haters and his doubters. I... That's, that's one of the best moments of the year, let alone the funniest. Um, I loved that quote from Lamar Jackson. To move on to the second question, it's a long one. Nick writes in, he says, Hey, Zach, with all the new coaching hires in college football, it's interesting to see which ones stay and which ones go. With my team being Iowa State, I'm, I was really glad that Matt Campbell remained with us to build our future. However, for a lot of up-and-coming programs, this was not the case, as many good group of five coaches left. My question is, when do you think is the right time for a coach to leave a lower or mid-tier job for a bigger one? Like Norville leaving, like I think Mike Norville is his name? Like Norville leaving Memphis to go to Florida State. 
It's my opinion that coaches should want to build something they can be proud of out of a lower mid-tier program, but I understand why they want to leave. Curious to hear your thoughts on the subject, considering you talk a lot about programs like Washington State, which isn't necessarily a top-tier program, but does have a very well-respected coach, Mike Leach. Okay, uh, Nick, when is the right time to leave a program? You leave when the offer's right. I mean, that's the truth is that, you know, it's always interesting. Who has more leverage? You know, there's some coaches don't have the confidence in themselves to to be ballsy and say, I have leverage here. Um, You know, some coaches bend to the will of the colleges offering them jobs. If it was me, I'd say, no, like, give me the situation I want. I get it's I get things on my terms. I'm not leaving my good job where I'm winning football games at like Memphis, for example, if Florida State doesn't give me what I want. You know, you need me more than I need you. I have a good job. I'm winning at the school I'm currently at. There's a reason you want me. You need me more than I need you. You need to win football games. Give me what I want. I, if I was a head coach in this situation, I would get exactly what I want, and I wouldn't budge on leverage. Um, it's, you, know, you, may not, you may have more money, but you need me to win games. And so I'm always surprised when college coaches take the very first offer they get, and they walk into a situation where I don't think they have a good opportunity to be successful. It always baffles me. Now, we have a lot to unpack. Um, from Nick. First, Nick writes in about Matt Campbell. I am so glad Matt Campbell stayed at Iowa State. I like him. I like what he's building. He's got a good young quarterback, Brock Purdy. He's building something at Iowa State. And we'll get into what, where I would rank Iowa State in the tiers of schools. Now, Mike Leach could never leave Washington State. Um, his style of coaching, he dominates a tiny media market. And, you know, he's running the same offense every week. He never makes adjustments. Mike Leach's style would only work at a school like Washington State. Kind of a loser program, no offense. Actually, I don't care if you get offended. Washington State is not a perennial winner in college football. They're not a big deal in college football. They're a very isolated, small market school. Um, If Mike Leach went to a bigger program, like Tennessee was one that was mentioned a while back, with a rich history and with a lot more media scrutiny, Mike Leach would fail. Mike Leach is a solid to kind of mediocre coach. Um, the majority of his appeal is that he wins consistently enough and he takes his team to bowl games regularly. He's also interesting and he has great quotes. Um, but, you know, Mike Leach is not a guy that would succeed at a school like Alabama or Florida or USC. That's not who he is. He needs a media market full of college students asking him questions and people from like the Spokane Tribune or whatever. And he needs to dominate a small market and be allowed to, to fail every couple of years because that's what he does. He's not a great coach. He's very good. Now, when is the right time to leave? Um, There are roughly, I'm going to say there are five types of college football schools. Number one, there are stepping stone schools. They're at the very bottom. These are mid-majors like Memphis or Bowling Green or Marshall or North Texas. They are schools. They're mid-major group of five schools that generally have less money, which is why, you know, it's, it's interesting, by the way, when, you know, West Virginia's head coach left to Dana Holgerson left to Houston, a mid-major. It was very shocking, which is it's rare to kind of see a guy go from a Power Five conference school to a college, you know, a, a uh, what was it, the Conference of American, the American Athletic Conference, whatever AAC, ACC, CAA. I can't remember what it is, but point is to go from West Virginia to Houston. For most people, looked like a step down, but Houston had a lot of money. It was very interesting. Um, so anyway, my point is this. Mid-majors are the bottom of the rung for Division I college football. They have less, the smallest amount of money. It's hard to build a fan base there because when teams begin to leave, their college coach regularly leaves. Like we saw Memphis, they're building a program. Then Norville left to Florida State. Ah, it's deflating. They lost their program. 
So they're stepping stone schools. And then there are loser power five schools. These are schools like well, West Virginia. Uh, Washington State is a loser power five school. They don't have as much money. They're not a big deal. They don't have a rich history of winning. They don't have a lot of power. They get whatever coach they can take. This is, these are schools like West Virginia. Uh, Wake Forest is, an, is another school like this. Nothing against them. But they're in smaller markets. They usually have less money. And often coaches use a loser Power 5 school as a stepping stone to get to a bigger, higher level Power 5 school. Power 5 meaning the five conferences, you know, uh, the, the ACC, the Pac-12, the Big 12, the Big 10, and the SEC. Those are the five, the, the Power 5 conferences in college football. Um, usually coaches that stay at a school, like a loser Pac-12, uh, a loser uh, you know, power five school. Like Mike Leach stays at Washington State for a long time. The reason he's there is because he would fail at a more demanding school. You know, some people are just happy. Some people are at a, a loser power five school and they're just very grateful to be there and they are you know, have a low-key lifestyle. They don't have any desire to move on and move up, but that's very rare to find a guy like that. I think a guy like that, now, you know, Iowa's not a loser power five school, but a guy like Kirk Ferentz has been there for years. He's happy. Kirk Ferentz doesn't want to go to a bigger school. Uh, like an Alabama or a Florida, he's happy. Now, again, I was not a loser Power 5 school, but they are. That, that's an example of a coach who's happy and has no desire to move on and move up. So there's you know stepping stone schools, then there's loser Power 5 schools, the next step up from that, and then you have lower-end destination schools. This is where the majority of colleges fall. Um, these are schools that have a lot of money, they have big fan bases, they're well-run. These are, I think Boise State is a lower-end Stepping stone school. You don't see a lot of people leaving Boise State, but hey, they're, they're the only group of five school I look at and go, that's, that's probably a destination for some people. Schools like Arizona State, um, I'd put Michigan in here. It's, they're good schools, and many coaches would be happy to be here forever. They'd be happy to be there for a long time. Then there is the next level up, which is a higher-end destination school, places like uh, Notre Dame, Texas, I think Florida, Georgia. That's the a lot of people would love to be here, and it's a higher end destination school where you you spend your whole career hoping to get to a school like this. Then at the top of the rung, the highest level of college football, there is college football royalty. These are the cream of the crop. This is Alabama, USC, Ohio State, Clemson's becoming a school like this. Now a lot of people think they're a school. You know, Michigan, for example, Michigan and Notre Dame think they're college football royalty. They're not. Now, Michigan fans, Notre Dame fans, they'll be furious, but I say, hey, look at how much you've won recently. Yeah, oh, oh you haven't. You haven't done it. You, you win like 10 games a year, and you're, you're very good, but you're not college football royalty like you may believe. I'd love to, uh, Michigan fans will be in the comments just arguing away their college football royalty. Ah, pish posh, just prove it to me. Jim Harbaugh. Even Jim Harbaugh, a guy I think is a great coach, can't turn that program around because they got academic issues. They're, they have systemic issues. There's a lot of stuff there holding them back. Um, coaches, any coach would leave a great job to go to a college football royalty school. I don't care. If you're winning at Florida and then USC says, hey, turn our school around, you probably leave. There's a lot of people. I, Florida's not a great example. That's an SEC school with a ton of money. Um, but, you know, for example, say that. Uh, you're winning at Oregon State, for example, a lower end. That's not a you know no, uh, what's what's a good a lower end destination school. I think Notre Dame. I think you leave Notre Dame to go to. I don't know that either. Point is this: 
a lot of people leave their job to go to a college football royalty school to be a coach there. Now, um, I, I haven't put a lot of thought in this. This is kind of a rough draft, all these thoughts. I'm still working through all the. I think someday I want to make a video ranking definitively. This school goes here. This school goes here. This school goes here. I did that a little bit here, but I really want to do a better job uh, ranking the tiers and putting schools in certain tiers. But again, these are the tiers of college football programs. You have stepping stone schools at the bottom. Then you have loser power five schools. Then you have lower end destination schools, higher end destination schools above that. And the top is the cream of the crop. This is college football royalty. Those are the five tiers of college football programs. Um, Look, I want to go back to this one thing, though. When you leave a stepping stone school and you accept an offer to become a head coach at a bigger school, it's, it's rare. You see, often you see coaches do this. They leave a good situation where they're winning football games. They have a good thing going. And then they go to a situation where they have no chance to succeed. It makes no sense to me. If I was a college football coach winning, doing well, I'm not leaving that job. My job security where I'm winning and doing well. I'm not leaving unless I'm going to a situation where I believe I can succeed because often there are factors outside of you that impact whether you succeed or not. Is there good financial backing? Do the boosters want you? Is there a lot of BS behind the scenes you have to deal with or not? Do you get things your way? It's hard to overcome a dysfunctional athletic department. Some coaches try. I wouldn't try. If the, college, if the athletic department of that college is dysfunctional, I'm not going there because I think that's not an environment that sets you up to succeed. A lot of coaches try to overcome that, and they fail. Just my, my two cents. Um, I would only leave a job I had that I liked and was secure if I thought, hey, I have a chance to succeed at my next job. No matter how many millions you offer me, offer me. you can offer me millions of dollars, but if I think I'm going to fail, I'm not going to do it. I am not going to go somewhere where I don't think I have an opportunity to be successful. Here's a great example. Um, there's a lot of college football. What am I saying? College. There's a couple of high schools in my area that have reached out to me and said, hey, Zach, why don't you come be our quarterback coach? Or why don't you come be our offensive coordinator in the Portland area? And I said no to schools because I don't believe in their head coach. If I don't believe in the head coach, I'm not going to go be an offensive coordinator to a high school football team where it's a ton of work. You pra- you know, you got to go to practice five days a week. But if the right coach comes along and I believe in him and I think I can succeed there, I'd be go be an offensive coordinator. That'd be really fun to do at the high school level. Um, but right now, the, the schools I've talked to have coaches that run wing T offenses and do things wrong. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going to be your quarterback coach of a wing T offense. Or you have a bad work ethic and I've heard bad things about you. I, I don't believe in you. My point is, if you're going to leave something, or if, I, I, no, to be very clear, I would never leave Strong Opinion Sports to go be a high school coordinator. I would do both. But my point is, if you're going to go do something, do it to go somewhere where you believe you have an opportunity to be successful. Don't waste your time with a head coach or an athletic department or a boss or uh, employees or um, coworkers that are holding you back and that don't give you an opportunity to succeed. Machine Boy writes in. Oh, I love this question. Machine Boy says, hey, Zach, I'm a junior at Clemson and heading into the playoffs, I feel something I haven't felt watching the Tigers my whole life. Uncertainty. Not fear or doubt or confidence. I just do not know what to think of my school's team compared to other elite schools after watching Clemson beat up on only awful average teams all year. How do you think Clemson stacks up against LSU and Ohio State? Um, Honestly, I have no idea, personally, Zach Schalmer, I have no idea how to evaluate Clemson. I don't know. Um, I watched them play one time this year. I was in Utah before I broadcasted Washington State, uh, Utah. 
uh, I was in a living room with a lot of my friends, and guess what? I was watching the, the whole time we watched Clemson, and <laughs> lo and behold, North Carolina and Clemson almost lost. That game came down to the final play, and I was like, you know, this is not, you know, I, I actually think, you know, they have Mac Brown at, uh, at, what is it, North Carolina. They are doing a good job with the Tar Heels. They're turning things around, but still I was like, you know, Clemson's not dominating this game the way I thought they would. I honestly have no idea how to feel about Clemson. I don't. I only watched them one time this year. Again, they almost lost. I'm not going to pretend to know things I don't know. To me, Clemson feels like the wild card in the college football playoff. They're 13-0, but they mostly dominated an awful, awful ACC schedule. And so I don't know what to make of them, but you got to remember, Clemson is the same program that last year just took it to and walloped. Alabama in the national championship game. That's the same coach, Dabo Sweeney. He's phenomenal. The same quarterback, Trevor Lawrence. And people, by the way, have seemed to have completely forgotten about Trevor Lawrence. Like, he just doesn't exist. He's still a really good quarterback. Don't forget Trevor Lawrence is still out there and still pretty phenomenal. Um, now, some people are saying Ohio State is the best college football program they have ever seen. Um, you know, Clemson-Ohio State, I think, is the better game of the two between you know, there's two college football games coming up. It's LSU versus Oklahoma, and then Clemson and Ohio State. I know I say Clemson. It's hard for me. I have a problem with S sounds. It's difficult for me. Um, but Clemson is, I, I don't know what to make of them. They're a wild card. It's going to be fun to watch them here, and I think they could surprise a lot of people. Don't discount Clemson on December 28th when they play Ohio State. They could surprise a lot of people. Just keep in the back of your mind, we haven't really seen them tested this year. And so what happens when they're challenged? They might actually surprise you and do some damage against Ohio State. I don't know. I have no idea what to make of them, but they are the wild card in the college football playoffs right now. Okay. Uh, Alex writes in. Alex says, hey, Zach, you've previously said that you are in favor of expanding the college football playoffs. I'm curious, how would you feel about incorporating an idea from college basketball? I personally would like to see a situation where a team like Auburn is rewarded more for a three-point loss to LSU than Clemson is rewarded for playing Wofford or Alabama playing Western Carolina. I think it'd be more interesting and beneficial that a good loss doesn't end your season. Thanks for reading, Alex. Um, Alex, I don't have a ton to add to this. Honestly, I com- I completely agree with you. I think you have the right track. Um, I actually made a video a while back about the eight-team playoff, what I would do, and I said you got to let eight teams in, and then you have to change the way... You rank teams. You got to change the ranking process. Stop rewarding weaker schedules. I like the idea of a good loss. I've never heard that before. That's yes, a good loss should have it should matter. You know, I do not respect Clemson beating Wofford fifty nine to fourteen. And look, I, I propose the idea strength the schedule, but that idea good loss. That's a key word that I think should be talked about more. Good loss. Um, I don't even know where Wofford is. And Clemson, oh, they played Wofford in November. Who cares? That's a D1 AA school. They're not even a Division I FBS program. So um, I think, you know, just allowing eight teams in is not enough. You also have to change. If you're going to change the college football playoff, don't just make it an eight-team playoff. Also change the ranking system. Again, let me repeat, we need to stop rewarding weaker schedules in college football. Okay, the next question is from... It's a comment from Gage. It's a comment, not a question, but it's a, I really liked it, so I'm going to read it. This is what Gage says. He says, hey, Zach, 
I was just watching your latest video about Drew Locke playing against Houston when something caught my attention that I wanted to add some context to as a Broncos fan. So this is not necessarily a question. It's a comment. I'm cool that I like it. Hey, I'm, I'll take more of these. These comments, they don't need to always just be a question. If you have something on your mind, send, me a que- send it to me on Patreon. I'll hear anything you have to say, and I might read it on the show if it's good enough. As a Broncos fan, this is not necessarily a question. It is in regard to the narrative of Rich Scangarello being on the hot seat here in Denver. Personally, I feel Rich has taken an unnecessary amount of heat for some of his conservative play calls, especially when we have the lead. Denver has blown multiple leads late in games this season, and some people are attributing it to Rich, Rich's conservative play calling when in reality, execution and giving up big plays has been the Achilles heel of the Broncos as of late, which is a, by the way, a defensive problem, not the offense's problem. Now, as a rookie offensive coordinator, Rich has definitely made some questionable decisions. A couple of examples can be derived from the Chargers game. We were up in the third quarter and we had a chance to build our momentum and Rich calls three straight running plays and Denver goes three and out. Another example is at the end of the game when LA kicked the game-tying field goal and Denver only had seconds left on the clock. Rich wanted to take a knee and go for overtime, but Fangio overruled that decision and decided to throw one up there to Sutton on a go route to see if he could make magic happen. Sutton ended up drawing up a uh, pass interference penalty, and Denver was able to get the ball down closer to the goal line and kick the walk-off game-winning field goal. Scangarello has also been criticized for continuing to call plays that have failed multiple times. One example is a tight end sweep to Noah Fant. Scangarello has called that play multiple times this season, and I cannot remember a single time when the play wasn't dead before the ball was snapped. Each and every time it would get stuffed out, and Rich kept going back to it. I personally think that those are rookie mistakes that he will learn from, and I have also seen multiple examples of Rich scheming guys open, and that is a good sign for a coordinator. I believe in Rich. I believe in Rich and do not want to see him fired. I believe he is a critical component to Drew Locke's development. Uh, Gage, thank you for your comment. I loved that very much. That's that's phenomenal stuff. I want to add two things to this. There are two things that, um, let me, just to teach you a little bit about football. No, I'm not in a condescending way. I think that this is something that I, I hear the criticism and let me help Broncos fans in general. Number one, part of why Rich Gangarello has been conservative at the end of games is because he hasn't trusted his quarterbacks all year. It's, and I kind of can't blame him um, against the Chargers, the game that you're talking about, his quarterback was Brandon Allen. Brandon Allen is a no-name quarterback, um, and he has a lot of flaws. Now, the Broncos got lucky. They threw up a deep ball, and they got pass interference. It gave them a chance to kick the game-winning field goal. But the idea of trying to make a two-minute drill work with Brandon Allen at quarterback is a bad idea. It's not worth it. Brandon Allen is not a good enough quarterback to trust in a two-minute situation like that. Now, Scangarello is... I think masterful at masking a quarterback's issues. He's so good as an offensive coordinator at creating a a scheme where the first option is the right option, which means that he has to know the defense perfectly and call the perfect play call every single time. He's done that multiple times this year. Brandon Allen, he hid his deficiencies by giving Brandon Allen first reads that were open every single time or very frequently. Brandon Allen very rarely threw to a second and third option because he had such good play calling from Rich Gangarello. Now, here's the other thing. The reason why he was regularly calling plays that didn't work 
it's actually an important thing. You know, this is how you create wrinkles. What that means is um, it's why teams often, for example, run the ball up the middle regularly, even though it's not working. You hear often a complaint when you watch football with casual football fans. They'll go, why do we keep running the ball up the middle? It's not working. It hasn't worked all day. Well, the reason is because it's a important piece of play action. You run the ball, you run the ball, you run the ball, and then you fake the run and you throw the ball downfield. That play, that action, that dive action up in the middle of the field, that's very important. You have to keep a defense honest. You got to run plays even if they don't work because it's how you create wrinkles off of other stuff. I guarantee at some point the Broncos are going to run that fly sweep to Noah Fant and they're not going to give it to him. It's going to be a fake. They're going to run play action and throw the ball downfield or they give it to Noah Fant. He catches it and then throws the ball downfield because defenders break so hard to come to him. This is a real thing. You got to do this. I, I know people don't understand. Like, why do you keep running that play? It never works. But you run that play that never works because eventually you run a different wrinkle that looks similar to that. You fake the fly sweep. You throw the ball downfield. That matters. The, the one day they do that, they fake to Noah Fant. They throw the ball downfield for a touchdown. It will all make sense. Oh, that's why all year they put on film that same look that didn't work because eventually they had a plan to take advantage of that look that people have exploited and destroyed all year. I think Rich Gangarello is a fantastic offensive coordinator. Gage, you're absolutely right. He is critical to the development of Drew Locke. But I wanted to give a little bit of insight there because um, I think that there, there was a little piece of that you were missing. That's why those things happen. But I loved your comment. It's phenomenal. Please, I want more of those comments that are just, you know, Zach, I don't have a question. Here's what I think. And I'll say, hey, here's what I think. And here's let's, let's have a fun conversation. That's awesome. That is why we do ask Zach. That's phenomenal. Alone writes in. He says, sup, Zach. If you could participate in my cause, my cleats, what cause would you choose and why? Alone, thank you for this question. Um, I'm not exactly sure, like, specifically which cause or which, like, charity I would choose um, or which, not charity, what's the right word, which, uh, there's some word I I can't come up with right now, but here's what I would support. I would do something local with, you know, closer to me with suicide prevention. And that leads me to the segment I do every single episode. If you're struggling, please go Get help. Nearly four years ago, my younger brother took his life. It was heartbreaking. It was awful. And I learned two really painful lessons from that experience. Number one is that my brother never shared his struggles. And so I encourage you, if you're struggling, go get help. Don't suffer in silence. Go get a counselor. I called a counselor literally yesterday saying, hey, I'm going through a breakup. I'm really struggling. I need a counselor. And I have a counseling appointment set up because when you're struggling, you got to go get help. The suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255, 1-800-273-8255. That is a suicide hotline, and I encourage you to grieve. If you're, if you're dealing with loss or you're sad, it's okay. I give you permission to cry. Crying is important. Um, and the other lesson I learned when my brother died is that I didn't make it clear enough to my brother that I loved him and I was there for him. I didn't make it clear enough to him that he could talk to me. So tell the people in your life you love them, you care about them, you're there for them. and that If they're having a hard time, they can come talk to you and then encourage them. If they, if you're like, hey, I'm not equipped for this conversation, encourage them to go seek professional help because counselors are trained to help people who are really struggling. But again, tell the people in your life, hey, I love you. Don't be afraid to have conversations with a little more depth than just video games or movies or sports. You can talk about life. Your buddy's going through a breakup. Hey, man. Hey, Jake. How are you doing? Hey, Zach. I know you and your girlfriend broke up. How's it going? What, what are you struggling with right now? Don't be afraid to have conversations with a little bit more depth than sports and movies and video games. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Um, you know, that's usually what I say when I take a break. I don't have a break here. I just, I almost, 
that was kind of like a nervous tick. I have no idea. I don't know how to wrap this up, but if you're struggling, please go get help. Okay, we have another question also from Alone. Alone writes in and says, Zach, what are your opinions on the Notre Dame quarterback, Ian Book? Ian Book. It's very simple to me. Um, you know, I, I watched the film on Ian Book, and I'm going to share my thoughts. And this is basically a film analysis of Ian Book um, where you just can't see the clips on video while I talk. I don't have the film to show you. I don't have the video clips. But I, I want to share. This is basically film analysis. And first, I must say, I, I really like, I saw some interviews with Ian Book. He presents really, really well. He's very good with the media. I think that's a trait that's important for a quarterback. But on the field, um, I'm going to do something I rarely do. I don't like making pro comparisons when I talk about a college quarterback. It's not really fair to the quarterback. It's also, again, it's not fair in this situation. It's not fair to Ian Book that I'm doing this um, because it's you know every guy is an individual guy. There are so many factors at quarterback. But to me, it was so prevalent. I felt like... I kept getting punched in the face by the same thought over and over again. I was like, man, oh, I keep thinking the same thing. I got to just, I got to share. Um, when I was watching film of Ian Book, I was constantly reminded of watching Mitchell Trubisky at North Carolina. There, there's so much on tape that reminds me of Trubisky. They're very similar physically and athletically. Um, again, it's not fair. They're different people. But their physical ability and their play style is so similar between Mitchell Trubisky and Ian Book. Here's what I see when I watch Ian Book, the quarterback at Notre Dame. He's just an average quarterback. He's got an average arm, average arm strength, average accuracy. He's an average decision maker. He has some interceptions that were a result of bad decisions. I can forgive interceptions that are tipped. I can even forgive interceptions where you make the right read and you make a bad throw. But when you're making bad decisions, throwing two defenders that are stepping in front of balls, and defenders just waiting for you to throw the ball there. That's a bad decision, and it's harder to forgive that. Um, now, he also runs around a lot. He's a very scrappy runner. He had a play against Georgia where it was a bad snap on fourth and two. He ran and picked up the ball and avoided pressure and threw the ball downfield. Now, sadly, uh, the receiver dropped the pass, but it would have been a first down. And a lot of times I saw, you know, Ebook runs around and extends plays. He's good at that. Here's what you don't see when you watch Ian Book, the Notre Dame quarterback, you don't see many throws into tight windows. When he's forced to throw the ball into tight windows, he often throws incompletions. It's a sad reality. Uh, you see inaccurate throws in situations where he needs to be accurate into tighter windows. Um, he also relies on his receivers a lot to make great catches. He throws up a lot of 50-50 balls, and his location is not phenomenal. He just is not the most accurate quarterback in the world. I currently do not see Ian Book being a starting quarterback in the NFL unless he becomes tremendously and significantly better as a quarterback. I just, unless Ian Book makes a gigantic step forward, I do not believe he is an NFL starting quarterback. Now, Devin asked me to talk about Wake Forest quarterback Jamie Newman. I also got a question to talk about Brock Purdy, the quarterback at Iowa State. Um, I want to let you guys know, I, I want to just, I sent you guys a message too on Patreon, but I want to tell the audience and make it public too. I've been um, unable to track down. I have not been able to track down any Iowa State or any Wake Forest film. If anyone out there is listening and has access, feel free to send it to me. Um, college football film is incredibly hard to come by. I don't think people realize. I get so many questions like, Zach, where do you get your film? And whew, it's it's a 
it's a hard process. There's no formula. There's no system. It's just kind of like I'm a scavenger in the wilderness looking for college football film, and I scrounge around and find it wherever I can. I send hundreds of emails. I search everywhere. Um, and uh, right now, I can't get a hold of any Wake Forest film. I can't get a hold of any Iowa State film. And I can't do a Brock Purdy or uh, Jamie Newman video because I can't literally get access to their film. If anything changes, I will update people. And if you're out there somewhere and you have access to this stuff and you want to help me, send it to me. Uh, every once in a while, I get very lucky, and a source will say, hey, here is, uh, like, they slide it onto the table. Here's this film. You're welcome. Here's this. And I really appreciate when guys give me access to stuff. If you're out there and you're listening and want to help me, please do that. Um, but unless someone gives me access or unless there's a way to find it, I currently, I've been looking, can't find Wake Forest film, can't find any Iowa State film, can't find access to it. And so if I ever will, I'll, I'll let you know and I'll do a video about them. But I keep getting requests to do those two quarterbacks and I just can't find their stuff. I can't find film anywhere and I don't have any contacts at those two schools. So um, just letting y'all know, I, I would love to do it. I just can't. I want to make that public and let that be known. I want to read a question. This is the final question of the episode. Uh, wow, we're flying. I didn't realize it'd be this short an episode. I'm, I'm actually cool with it though. Um, you know, Logan's out there driving to work and he's like, man, I haven't quite made it to work. I, uh, I hope you got a little bit more in the tank. Cody writes in. Cody says, hey, Zach, I love your videos, and they have given me a new appreciation for the sport of football. And you have given me a new way to look at football other than a raving fan, which helps for seasons when my favorite team, South Carolina and the Atlanta Falcons, aren't doing well. Speaking of South Carolina, our former starting quarterback, Jake Bentley, just announced he's transferring to Utah. My question is, from what you have seen, do you think he would have success there or is he just bound to be a bench warmer? <sighs> okay. Um, I think part of why he's leaving is he just doesn't have the arm talent to compete with Ryan Hilinski. The, the kind of the writings on the wall, Ryan Hilinski is the future of South Carolina. He also never had a great offensive line at South Carolina. Um, I think that Jake Bentley will, I, I don't just think I believe, and there is a difference there. Think is like kind of more of a guess. Belief is like, no, I, I, I have evidence and I, I saw this. I believe Jake Bentley could succeed at Utah. It's very simple with Jake Bentley. He makes good decisions. He sends the ball to the right spot regularly. He sends it in the right direction. The trouble Jake Bentley has is with his accuracy. Utah's getting an experienced quarterback who can read a defense, and when guys are wide open, he's phenomenal. The reason why he's not starting is because a freshman, frankly, he's more talented, kind of stole the show. And again, he never had a lot of help. At Utah, he's going to play with the best offensive line he's ever played with. That's going to be awesome for him. I, think, I, I believe he will succeed at Utah, but Jake Bentley is great when guys are wide open. When the windows are tighter and guys aren't wide open, he struggles. However, Troy Taylor, the offensive coordinator at Utah, does a great job making that happen. Getting guys and creating matchups where receivers are wide open. Uh, I watched a lot of Tyler Huntley, the quarterback at Utah this year, Jake Bentley is Tyler Huntley without the ability to run. Jake Bentley is very similar to Tyler Huntley. I think he'll be successful at Utah. And I think Jake Bentley might go to Utah and get better. Again, he'll be playing with the best offensive line he's ever had. He'll have a program that's, I think, really all in on him. They want him to succeed. I think Utah is going to put Jake Bentley in a position to do better. And if he does the work, um, he's a solid, experienced quarterback. He's not really an NFL quarterback. His arm talent isn't there He's just not accurate enough, and is, he doesn't have a high velocity. So when you're not accurate, you also don't have high velocity. You're kind of nah. But I believe Jake Bentley will succeed at Utah. 
Um, he is an experienced quarterback who makes good decisions, puts the ball in the right spot. That's something Utah needs, frankly. They're they're losing their quarterback, and um, you know they keep regularly over and over again. They keep losing guys, transfers. They have like I think their depth chart is like three quarterbacks literally on the roster, and that's unheard of for a college football program to only have three quarterbacks on their depth chart because guys keep transferring away. Guys will lose the starting job and say, I'm not staying at Utah. I'm going to go somewhere else where I can be the starter. So Jake Bentley to Utah. I believe it could work. I really do. Um, but again, accuracy is a problem. But if you can rein it in with accuracy, or if Troy Taylor, the offensive coordinator at Utah, can just dial up great play calls and guys are wide open, then Jake Bentley will succeed at Utah. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Hope you're having a great day. Um, that's all I have for today for Ask Zach episode three. In about four or five hours, I'm recording the next episode of Strong Opinion Sports. We'll do a, a weekly hockey uh, you know, update. We'll do an NBA update. We'll talk about the Patriots cheating. We'll talk about got a lot of good stuff coming up. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very, mu- very much for tuning in. Go see Knives Out if you're interested. Um, and if you're struggling, go get help, guys. Ba-dum-bum, bam, we are done.